What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Kyle Butts, alongside with Brevin Honda, and today, got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to get into some MLB. We're right in the thick of things with that. Um, another uh, segment of Fair or Foul. Really looking forward to that as well. Really interesting topic. Hope you guys are looking forward to that. And then also, uh, we will get into some NBA, GA Tour, and then NFL football, uh, potentially, and we'll see if... Uh, these quarterback battles can shape up, but Brevin, I mean, let's go back to where we're going to start. I mean, Major League Baseball, it's, it's an exciting time of year right now. It is. We're right in the middle of the dog days of summer, right in the heart of August. And, you know, it's that time where it's after the trade deadline. You start to see, um, as we talked about last week, the standing starts to really take shape. I think we've got like four teams in the NL wildcard that are within six games, you know, with the Padres leading the way. And then you got the Reds, the Phillies, the Cardinals as well. And you see as well, you know, a team like the Braves that have played so well and take advantage of that National League East in first place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these races are really heating up, uh, both wild cards as well. I mean, it's just really in, really in the thick of things, like I mentioned before. And um, we'll see if uh, these teams are able to make a push, you know, fighting for contention as well i mean let, let's start off i mean the events of the week i mean chris sale i mean coming back last weekend for the red sox um brevin what did you think about his performance yeah i think it's what you expect for a first start coming back you know from the surgeries that he went through not playing for two since 2018 you know and he comes out against the orioles last saturday and uh throws five innings gives up a couple of solo shots uh couple of hits but he struck out eight and got the win yeah i mean it was really cool to see him back out there he's been out for such a long time and um good performance for him still contending you know at the moment also for the wild card too um but brevin i mean what do you think his return does for that team do you think it propels them to a playoff spot i think it's gonna give them the boost i think you know when you look at what the red sox have done over the last month month and a half they've kind of been struggling kind of like the way the Padres have and you know, when you know, when we think about how important starting pitching is, especially in the playoffs, we've seen that years past, you know, especially like during the times when Randy Johnson would pitch, you know, we know that you know, how important starting pitching is, you know, even when we saw Madison Baumgartner pitch go coming out of relief in the World Series, you know, it shows you how important starting pitching is and for to get a guy back like Chris Sale, who's a highly touted pitcher you know, that's important for a ball club like the Red Sox. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, seeing him back, I mean, it's just a huge boost, like you said, and, and what he's able to do. I mean, we've seen it through the years. And I think, you know, adding him back to, to a rotation with Evaldi and Pivetta already, you know, um, having pretty good pretty good years, I mean, um, just adds to that. And, I mean, if they keep the bats going, I know they were on a losing streak. We were kind of talking about that last week, but – Recovered a little bit since then, and I, I think the pitching is going to be key for them, you know, heading forward because they have a lineup to, you know, really make a push in, in any kind of facet of baseball, whether it's right now contending for that wild card spot, AL East, or even in the postseason too. So um, I think that's really important for them. Um, sticking with um, baseball here, we got Joey Votto, 2,000 career hits on Monday. I mean, he's had an incredible season. Um what he's been able to do has been awesome. I mean, what do you think about that, Brevin? I mean, we've seen him play for such a long time, it seems like, and he, he's got 2K now. Yeah, it's amazing to see that. You know, I think, you know, we think about, you know, we see some of these, a lot of these veteran players have, you know, great seasons. We're seeing that with, you know, another player, Buster Posey, for example, in San Francisco. And you see Joey Votto hit 2,000 career hits, you know, joining is the become the fifth player in Reds history to have 2,000 or more hits, joining Hall of Famers Barry Larkin, Johnny Bench, and Bid McPhee. Bid McPhee, part of the playing in 1882 to 1899, part of the Cincinnati Red Stockings, and also joining Dave Concepcion. So it's, you know, a good cost to be part of, you know, and he's been with that franchise for a lot of his career. And so it's, you know, it's kind of, kind of that nostalgia when you see a player like that achieve achieve that type of feat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's been around since 2007 with the Reds, which is crazy. I mean, 322 career home runs for them as well, and he's had his good years, his bad years, but uh, 
he's always been that guy who can make a difference with one swing of a bat, I feel like. So um, seeing him get that honor is just really cool. I mean, joining Barry Larkin, Dave Concepcion, Bid McPhee, Johnny Bench. And, I mean, you'd put Pete Rose up there. Also, uh, to be the fifth player in Reds history, um, to have 2,000 more hits. So that's pretty cool, um, seeing him get that. Um, and then also, you know, second AL NL player to record his 2,000th hit and 300th home run. And also, 1,000th RBI in the same season. First time that's happened since 1971 when Cubs legend Billy Williams accomplished that. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, great to see him get that honor. And, and you know, also another thing about that is, I mean, Joey Votto, he's 37 years old and, and an incredible season right now. I'm sure we'll see him for a couple more seasons at the very least. Mm-hmm. All right, another thing that happened, kind of one of the more worser news that happened was the A's is Chris Bassett. He took a line drive to the face, was rushed to the hospital, but – was in stable condition, was able to get um, able to come back and um, and we see, you know, just the support, not just from the A's, but from his opponents that day and the White Sox in Chicago. Um, so it's tough to see a pitcher like that go down, but good to see the support from both sides. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's always been one of my fears. I mean, growing up and playing baseball, I didn't really pitch much, but um, just seeing that happen to a pitcher, I mean, it's rare, but when it does happen, it's obviously very scary. So i um, glad that, you know, it wasn't worse than it could have been. And, uh, and you know, glad that he is in stable condition, recovering from that, and, you know, hoping for the best because, I mean, I saw the video on Twitter right after it happened, and, man, that was scary, uh, mm-hmm. to say the very least. So uh, good to see him in a, in a better condition now for sure. Mm-hmm. His, his wife was sitting next to, I think it was Liam Hendricks's, wife the closer for for the white Sox, and you know you know and to see i think it was liam hendrix's wife they they took chris bassett's wife down to the to the to the clubhouse in that area so they can go to the hospital together it just shows you know kind of like the fraternity that these players have together and the players wives that they had because they all they all go through it together even if they're not on the same team yeah, absolutely. It's good to see that uh, camaraderie in a sense, you know, even though, um, like you said, they don't, they don't share uh, a part of the same organization. So um, good to see that support for him really on all sides, like you mentioned. Um, you know, going going off that point, switching kind of gears, though, uh, Chris Bassett's one of those guys to get a one of those all-star tops cards, but it's going to be tops no longer here soon enough. Uh, MLB, MLB Players Association set to give exclusive trading card license to Fanatics, ending a 70-year run for Tops. And you know that's kind of interesting because Fanatics has never made any trading cards before. No, they've just made hats pretty much in all this fan gear. So it'd be kind of a little bit different to see what kind of route they take in once the the contracts end with Tops and things like that. But you know, it's gonna kind of a little unfortunate ending for how long Tops has done it for seven decades to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll see what the changes are. You know, how different are the cards going to look to what the Tops cards look like right now? Um, and then also, you know, uh, a big part of uh, MLB The Show has been the introduction of these Tops Players Moments cards. So it, it's, it's a legitimate baseball card, but it's in the video game. So... Um, also interested to see what they do with that next season and beyond and you know really just how the cards change and and the value of them as well and mm-hmm. speaking of value with I mean training cards Honus Wagner E206 Honus Wagner card broke the record this week highest selling sports card of all time 6.606 million last Monday I mean Brevin what do you think about that I mean it's a lot of money for a guy who played a long time ago so it makes sense but 6 million just amazed at how a card can be sold for that much. Yeah. I mean, you think about what Honus Wagner did was part of that first Hall of Fame class in 1936 with names like Cobb and Walter Johnson. You had Matthewson and you had Bruce into that mix. You think about the eight batting titles that he had was part of the 1909 Pirates World Series Championship team, a lifetime 328 hitter recorded 3,420 hits, so, you know, it makes sense, but it's 
amazing to see that a card like that can be sold for that much. Yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of, you know, trading cards at home from my uncle, from my grandpa, and I'm never about to give those away because, you know, I'm hopefully there's a gem in there somewhere I could sell it someday for a crazy price like that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. Or even happens. just to keep, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool, like, flipping through the pages, seeing all the old players. Um, I did school um, at ASU, and inside of the building is actually the headquarters of Sabermetrics. And, um, you know, they're writing bios for each and every player that has ever played in the MLB. They said that they have 6,000 down right now so far, but there's 14,000 still yet to be, um, you know, yep. written, their, their biographies. You know, but at the same time, you know, those top training cards, I'm sure a lot of them, those have been made for MLB players too. So there's thousands and thousands out there as well that I'm sure are worth a lot of money um, going off that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot and, uh, that they yeah, have to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> training cards now, man. This has really got me interested. Now going from uh, trading cards to what's happening on the field right now in baseball, um, San Diego Padres. Revan, can I have a just one word of how the Padres have performed these past couple weeks? I would say that word is struggling. I think you see... I would agree with you. You see the at-bats that, you know, they're taking good at-bats, but then you see they're not really translating to scoring runs and translating into getting wins. It, you know, it hurts when you haven't... You've lost, you know... Uh, six of your last seven, you get walked off twice over the last road trip. You get no hit yeah. by a starting pitcher that hasn't started a game before in the major leagues. You know, it's it's tough, and this is truly what yeah. it means by having being a part of the dog days of summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't know, you know, Diamondbacks took three out of four from the Padres last weekend, and then this week swept by the Rockies on the road. I mean, just a tough break. Um, we saw the debut of Jake Arrieta um, getting hurt, but we saw the return of Fernando Tatis Jr., and that's going to be huge because um, not only that, but Revan, he actually ended up playing right field, and he's been there ever since. I mean, what do you think about that, and, and how do you think he's performed so far out there? Yeah, I think offensively, the thing about, you know, Fernando is he sparks the whole offense. You know, you, we saw that, you know, even in yeah. his first game back on Sunday, you know, he had two homers a part of that eight two victory but then you think about the flip side of it and how that affects the rest of the team defensively you think about you know you know we think about him playing bright field part of that's also because of the the duo that we have up the middle with jake Cronenworth and adam frazier that's been gelling over the last yeah. couple of weeks while fernando's out but then you also think about the outfield perspective you think about will myers and tommy fan now platooning together in left field so it's all, you know, there's a, there's an effect to Fernando coming back and playing outfield, whether it's based on the infield and the outfield. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and you know, what happens at the plate is not going to change. The only thing that has changed is this defensive uh, position. So, um, you know, for now, I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it is working. And um, I need them to. And you said it perfectly. We, we noticed that platoon out left field. But, I mean... Going off of that, between um, the struggles and starting pitching um, for the Padres this season, I mean, what do you think needs to happen in order for them to, you know, just make a playoff push and, and keep their position, you know, fighting for the wild card? Yeah, I think it's just trying to figure out how to throw throw deep into ball games. You know, we know how much the bullpen's been taxed all season long, and so I think it's going to be key for the starting pitching. You know, even though Chris Paddock's close to coming back, we see you Darvish might be coming back, you know, with his back tightness that he, saw, that he has gone through in spurts throughout this year since June. You know, Chris Paddock with the oblique injury. And, you know, I think it's going to be a challenge for starting pitching to go deep in the ball games. You know, it's been tough for the 21-year-old Ryan Weathers to – over the last few starts, you know, but it's figuring out how to be economical with the pitches um, as each inning progresses throughout their starts. And, you know, it starts tonight. We got Blake Snell on the mound here tonight. Mm. 
against the Phillies at home. So, you know, maybe this could be the spark club because last time the the Padres were shipped in Colorado, that started their big June hot streak. So maybe that could change tonight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I really think it could. And, and huge series, both for the Phillies and the Padres going into this. Um, starts tonight, just like you mentioned, uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, Padres at home, so they're going to need that home crowd behind them, I feel like, because, you know, it's it's pivotal that they start winning some games here, especially after, you know, the last one. Um, look through the Little League Classic going on here. Coming up, that's going to be between the Angels and the Indians in Williamsport on Sunday, August 22nd, at the historic Bowman Field after a full slate of the Little League World Series games. I've been watching some of the Little League World Series so far, and it's been a lot of fun, so... Um, I saw the I saw the uniforms that both teams are going to be wearing for them. Really like them. Um, I think they're going to make it as interesting as possible. I mean, they. I mean, we always we already see, saw the MLB do such a great job with the Field of Dreams game, and I mean, the same expectations are you know I, I think lined up for this game, if not more. Yeah, I think when you think about these two teams, you know, the Indians, the Angels, you think about how much, you know, kind of like. As much as hardworking as they've been, you think about the flair that each team has. You know, you think about the Angel side. We bring up Shohei Otani. We're going to talk about him more in a couple of minutes. You think about having Mike Trout and Justin Upton, you know, former first-round pick. You know, you think about, you know, all these different players that this team has. You know, and then you think about the Indians, you know, and their players. You know, we mentioned Shane Bieber, even though he's hurt. You know, we have Aaron Savale, and you have Framil Reyes, and you have... Jose Ramirez, one of the top third basemen in the game. So it's you know going to be a lot of fun out in Williamsport this weekend. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll be a fun series for sure. I mean no doubt about that. Um, you know Angels manager Joe Madden, he's going to be back. I mean for the first time in the time play the Pirates in the uh, Little League uh, Classic. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I mean for now, I mean Angels kind of on a hot streak. I mean coming off a sweep. Uh, over the Detroit Tigers. I mean, <laughs> it was kind of a wacky series. There was a lot that went down and really just culminating in the 10-2 comeback win for the Angels yesterday. Absolutely crazy game. I, I caught the tail end of it when they were able to tie the game and then take the lead. I <laughs> Starting pitching, continuing to be a problem, but bullpen held up for the most part and I mean the Angels produced I mean it was great to see and um, a lot of the young guys um, coming alive at the plate we saw Joe Adele uh, score two runs didn't have any hits but um, he was able to make a difference in the game with an RBI Brandon Marsh I think that was his best game as an Angel so far to be honest three for five uh, scored two runs three RBIs got a walk as well and then Max Stassi he's been an incredible hitter um, this season as well I I mean, Brevin, did you see that game? What'd you think? I was keeping track of that game yesterday, and I was like, all right, you know, there's so much that could happen. You know, you think about Miguel Cabrera being one home run away from 500. You know, we obviously, you know, yeah. whenever you have Shohei Otani hitting, you know, eyes are glued to the screen, eyes are glued to the box score. You know, and, you know, it's... Mm-hmm so much that can happen you know we saw that two nights ago with Otani doing it not just yeah. at the plate but yep. on the mound with eight solid innings get, getting the win and hitting his major league leading 40th homer of the season yeah I mean his performance the other night was astounding I mean there's there's no doubt he's the MVP at this point and what he was able to do yesterday as well two for three two walks and RBI I mean just finding ways to contribute in any way he can, and he's doing it well. Yeah, how about that infield hit that he got <laughs> late? Yeah, just show, just shows, I mean, the kind of player he is. He can really do it all. So, um, like I said, I mean, no doubt he's MVP, and I, I'm sure if he keeps it up, he'll be in that conversation year in, year out. Um, I mean, just great to see a player of, uh, you know, his caliber finally be able to get past the threshold of his injury issues pitching wise and also be able to continue his production at the plate. I mean, and do even better that he, than he has the past two seasons as well. So um, really cool to see him do that. Yeah. Him and Trout are going to be fighting for MVPs for years to come. 
<laughs> yeah, man, I, I sure hope so. And uh, hopefully some uh, playoff contention uh, involved in that, too. <laughs> I'd be going back to the days where Bond and Jeff Kent were fighting for MVPs in the early 2000s. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to fair or foul. And we're taking this ESPN article that was written on Tuesday, and it was eight new proposals to MLB if you were an MLB commissioner. And we're going to go through these eight one by one. And the first proposal was you shorten the season by a month. And this one makes sense. You think about what, what also happens in the month of September. You think about the NFL NFL football beginning, you think about college football, and you know, I think, when you think about it, you know, obviously it's a month, you know, we see the July 31st trade deadline happen, and Kyle, what would your reaction be if you saw NFL football and the MLB playoffs going on at the same time? Oh, that would be so much fun. <laughs> that, would, that would be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, um, in terms of shorting in a season, it's tough to do something like that because um, they did it last year that was shorter than I feel like it needed to be. Um, but I, I do like the idea because there are 162 games in a season, and, and I mean, if you, if you cut that down to 135, 140, whatever it might be, I mean, that would, I feel like, just bring a lot more pressure into, you know, playoff races as well because... Um, we've seen a lot of teams this season, like AL Central. I mean, it's really just a one-man band with the White Sox at this point. So um, I, I feel like it would, you know, kind of create um, a pattern in which teams would really have to fight for these positions. And then also, in this in this article, it did mention that the trade deadline would be, you know, should should remain the same. And, you know, that, that would make it really exciting because that would mean one month after the trade deadline, we would have to see what moves would be made and, and see how it would all play out, too. I think, too, you know, one thing that this ESPN article doesn't really mention are the injuries that take shape, you know, over the course of 162-game season, you know. It, I think because of, you know, if you shorten the schedule, you know, based on, like, 130, 140 games, 130 games, you know, I think one thing it does, it's, you know, less injuries happen within that month within a span of a month, you know, whether it's because of that mentality, because of, you know, you don't throw, you know, you're not on as a pitcher, maybe an innings restriction later in the year, or you're not forced to do an inning restriction in May or June, kind of like what we saw from Chris Paddock two years ago, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So um, interesting concept idea. I uh, don't know if that's something that MLB would ever pursue, but another um, topic listed in the story was expanding and realigning league by geography. Um, in, ter- in terms, I-, I also do like that idea because um, it would limit travel between teams to, to an extent. Obviously, there would be um, cross-divisional play and things of that sort, but an interleague action. But, you know, I, I think that it-, it would be interesting. It would be a good change. Um, seeing the Padres play the Angels a lot more often than the Dodgers as well, freeway series would just be a lot more common at that point. Um, and then obviously the Angels, for example, they wouldn't be playing a team like the Astros. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I think it would be a good change, but I mean, Brevin, what do you think? Yeah, I think this has been talked about a lot, you know, over the last yeah. few years. They're trying to expand. MLB, not necessarily you know, trying to realign leagues, but I think expanding teams to 32 is is going to happen sooner rather than later. It just, you know, goes yeah. back to the injuries, you know, and you see teams with less pitchers, for example, you know, and so I think that's going to be one of the drawbacks into expanding, expanding teams. It's going to be the pitching in terms of the injuries in order to yeah. get through those innings. That's the only thing. Right. Yeah. And, and another part of this, you know, that, um, you know, is mentioned in the story is that these geographic pods, you know, there would be different levels of subscription access through this. I mean, MLB.com, for example, um, no blackout rules. So team would be teams, uh, fans of teams would be able to see this uh, um, at all times. So I don't, I don't know how that would work. 
Um, but having these showcase games would be interesting. More rivalries would be formed. Um, I, I don't know. It, it is an idea that has been discussed. I'm sure a lot of people will continue to talk about that. Um, but we'll see what happens. And then, you know, another thing that's been brought up so much, especially lately, you know, when, uh, with the discussion of speeding up the game and things of that sort, adding a pitch clock. I mean, <laughs> what do you think about that idea? I mean, I don't really... I'm not really a fan of the pitch clock. I mean, yeah, I understand to yeah. make pitch pace and play, but pitchers, you know, they're on their own tempo. And, you know, when... When right. they have that right tempo, you know, they don't really need the pitch clock. They just go up and have their same routine to go out and throw every pitch. Yeah, I'm with you on that because, I mean, like I said, it's been talked about a lot, but um, at the end of the day, pitchers are going to work at their own rate and hmm. they're going to um, perform to the best of their abilities when they do so. So, um, obviously, baseball is a long game. It always has been, and I don't think it's going to change. But um, having a pitcher, you know, who maybe might take a little bit more time in between pitches, um, that could, you know, just mess up their whole their whole vibe, uh, their whole performance, how they're how they're doing, um, their disposition on the mound. Um, so you know, I'm that it's being used and it's being experimented with. Um, but I don't know. I don't. It's, it's hard to say that it's working or it's not working because none of us watch really minor league baseball like that. Um, it just really speeds up the game. And, I mean, I don't feel that's completely necessary at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're not going to see two-hour complete games like how it used to be when Randy yeah. Jones was pitching <laughs> inside San Diego Stadium and game starts at 7 o'clock. You get home by 9.30. You know, it's not going to be that, but you understand that, you know, there's the opportunity for games like that. I mean, there's some party games where they get over before 10 o'clock, but then we also see games that get over by, get done by 11 that start at 7, 10. So it, it kind of makes sense, but then it's also, you know, you, you know, you just have to, you know, like we said before, you just have to worry about the injuries that might take place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's a whole other part of it as well. Um, you know, and going off that point, uh, related to pitching, and uh, I guess really in, a, in any other sense, is uh, robo-umpires. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, this idea has been tossed around, and, and you know, it's, it's it would be a lot easier in a sense. I mean, technology is, is still evolving, but... I mean, I feel like in a sense it, it takes the authenticity away from the game. You know, having an umpire there and, and making these calls, and obviously there have been several moments over the years um, where you know incorrect calls have been um, just absolutely detrimental to some teams. Um, not only behind the plate, but you know on the base path as well. I, but also, I mean, for the most part, video replay came in. Each team has a challenge. I mean, what do you think about having robo umpires behind the plate, though, Bradley? Personally, I'm not a fan of this one. I think, you know, knowing, being around the game for, since pretty much I was born, you know, playing with human umpires, you know, I'm not kind of a fan of this one. I think, you know, if, you know, and that's part of just the human error of this game, you know. I mean, we've only seen, you know, very, very rarely have we seen a lot of perfect games. There hasn't been one since... 2012 when King Felix threw his perfect game against with yeah. the Mariners and so I think it shows you how rare it is for anyone to be perfect at this game I mean no one's ever hit 1,000 in a season and they're a, quali they're a qualified leader so it shows you just you know that umpires aren't going to be perfect every single time but right. you know it's kind of I, I don't really not a fan of the robo umpires yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say foul on this one because mm -hmm. I, th I think you said it perfectly. I mean, no other sport really has a robo-referee either or a robo-umpire of any sort. So um, I feel like it does kind of take away the authentic aspect of baseball where um, the players are doing their thing, the umpires are doing their thing. Um, you don't see, you know, any robo-referees in the NBA calling a foul. 
because that, that's not how it's judged. I mean, every every game is going to have, you know, an um, an umpire or a referee who's going to make an, a mistake. I mean, it's just bound to happen. Um, so I, I do agree with you on that. And then this kind of goes hand in hand with end streaming, uh, with uh, the streaming blackouts and things of that sort, and and uh, realigning the leagues. Um, this proposes end streaming blackouts and loosening video rights restrictions. Uh, Brevin, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I think I'm kind of in favor in this one. You see a lot of games that get blacked yeah. out, for example, like on MLB Network, for example, because you know you don't get to watch or, or even for like for example like a football game for example that you don't get to watch you know it's kind of makes sense for mlb because you know when let's say you're trying to watch a certain team but you don't get to because they're blacked out you know they kind of you might lose that person trying to watch that team trying to watch that player so i think it's something that yeah. might agree with you know i yeah i'm with you on this because I mean, MLB.TV, like, why are games blacked out on there if I'm paying so much money every year to watch it, right? And just solely based on geography. So, you know, I, I, I totally agree with this because, I mean, the league really does need to get together with TV providers and, I mean, make watching local games, you know, more accessible to people because the only way the game is going to grow is if there's more exposure to it. And... I, th I think that, you know, this story, I mean, there's a great point in the story that the Field of Dreams game, I mean, it was sensational. A lot of people watched that game. Mm -hmm. So for that to happen, and I mean, it's it's got to open the eyes of, uh, you know, Commissioner Rob Manfred and, and those, um, you know, kind of following this. So, you know, I think that I think that June Lee, he does a great job in, in arguing um, that blackouts shouldn't be a thing in MLB, especially when you're paying so much money for streaming services or even cable, YouTube TV, um, things of that sort. You know, too, I think on the flip side, Number you know, six, I, uh, Kyle, before we go on to the next one, I think it's been nice, you know, we see on YouTube, you know, having these MLB games go live on YouTube. I think that's kind of been one of the nice things to see because you know, knowing that it's just on YouTube, it's, you know, free to watch technically, you know, it's been nice to see, you know, the opportunity for MLB to take with it and to see that, you know, they have people broadcasting the game as well as using right. the live chat to, for you know, YouTube creators to connect with, you know, their subscribers or viewers, you know, and it's kind of been a nice thing to see, um, you know, once a week. Yeah, and I, I would even say they should expand that because, you know, once a week, why not twice a week? Why not have mm -hmm. one one game of the week and then maybe a game of the weekend mm -hmm. or something yeah. like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they have the ability to do so, why not? Like I said, more exposure, more eyes means more growth for the game. Um, so, you know, I'm totally with you on that as well. I mean, having those games on YouTube and everyone's streaming nowadays um, – it's great for me because I don't have a cable service here, but I do have Wi-Fi and I'm able to watch on YouTube. So it's great. Um, so I'm totally, I totally agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. All right, the sixth one is allow trading of draft picks. It's something you don't see in during MLE drafts. You see it a lot in the NBA draft, the NFL draft. And Kyle, what are your reactions to possibly having this proposal? Huh, I, I don't really know. Um... Between selecting players and and having all that, I mean, there there's I mean the standard is forty rounds in, in a draft, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that could get really messy really quickly. I feel like and and trying to balance um, who who's being traded, players going where, and which draft pick is being traded. I mean, I, I feel like that would be difficult to balance just because of the sheer amount of of draft picks that are cycled through every year. Um, it, I mean, it is, a, it is a decent idea, I would say, because um, it would make, um, give it more opportunities to players, I feel like, and have teams make moves. But um, I, I feel admit that at some point, it would have to, you know, limit trading draft picks to round 10. Mm -hmm. Five or or something like that. I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't. I don't. I don't know how it would work. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's different with the MLB because of how many 
levels they have before you get to the major leagues. You got, you have rookie right, ball. You got it. low A. You got high A. You got double A, and you got triple A. You know, you have all those different levels before you get to the major leagues. When you see the NBA, the the NFL, you know, the NFL they just have a practice team. You know, in the NBA, you just you only have like a twelve team G League, and that's it. And so, I think it. And two, you only see two rounds in the NBA. The NFL is what seven, ten rounds. Right. Yeah, and so I think it makes sense for them to do it because they have enough draft picks to do it. I think the MLB. I think it, unless the MLB shortens the number of rounds that they have, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, like I said, decent idea, but there would be a lot of moving parts to put that together. I mean, plus two, you know, if MLB were to go through this, there would be so many teams that would trade their 30-second round pick for... Right. I mean, because they understand that not every player is going to be like a Mike Piazza, get drafted super late and become a Hall of Famer. Right, exactly. Absolutely. Number seven on this list, uh, paying minor leaguers a living wage. This is second to last bullet point here in this fair or foul segment. And, Brevin, I mean, this has been a topic of conversation for a while. I, I, I do feel like, you know, um, wages should be given to minor leaguers because these guys are fighting for their careers. And... Um, you know, to see what's going on in the minor leagues. Obviously, there are a lot of players uh, involved in the minors, but um, them not being a part of the MLBPA um, and not really having a voice for um, what they are able to do, you know, I think that there should be some sort of standard for this. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on this one, Kyle. I think it's because you mentioned it. They're... This is their career. This is their job. You know, this is what they're doing at that moment because, you know, they're simply just not ready for the major leagues. And so they're in the minor leagues trying to trying to progress and improve on what they can in the major leagues. And so I think this is this one here, paying minor leaguers living wage. I'm going to have to agree with this one. Yeah. I, and, you know, you, you go off that point of – these players, I mean, a lot of these players are not going to make the major leagues. It's just not going to happen. So um, they could be stuck in the minor leagues for 10 years. They could be in the minor leagues for two years. Either way, um, if they don't make it to the majors, they're going to suffer financially. So I, I feel like, you know, with, with the resources that the MLB has, I feel like this is something that should happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Mm -hmm. All right, the last one here on this list of eight to end our fair or foul segment is to rethink the role of the commissioner. And this primarily talks about the leadership of just the game of baseball as a whole. Yeah, um, going off this point, I absolutely agree. This is, I think this is the, this is one bullet point within the story that I am all in on, 100%. Um, when reading this, you know, I mentioned that youth baseball needs to be revamped. Okay, so what is the MLB going to do to make that happen? We've seen Manfred, um, his handling of the Astros situation, um, the whole thing went down. Um, really everything happened between, you know, the seven-game doubleheaders that uh, I feel are a little bit questionable. Obviously, that's changing next year again, but um, the extra inning rule as well. I mean, simply, I feel like Manfred not only has to do a better job, but um, I feel like there has to be more voice coming from the players as well. I mean, because they're ultimately the ones that are going out and doing it. So um, why not why not consult them? See what, see what they want. And then also that goes to minor league players too because they've been playing the game most likely their whole life, if not for a long time. So... Um, just getting input from the players and finding out what they feel is best to grow the game of baseball, I feel like is most most important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think too. You know, you bring out trying to grow the game. You know, one of the one of the organizations that we see start to take shape over the last couple of years has been the MLB Players Alliance group. You know, mm -hmm. players like C former players such as CC Sabathia, Curtis Granderson. You see them kind of take charge of that. You know, and trying to grow the game on their own. We see the Padres, uh, Tommy Pham, 
you know, be a part of that as well. You know, they go to different cities across across America. I think they're yeah. trying to go across the world as well and trying to grow the game, I think, you know, and so they they understand that, you know, if Rob Manfred's not gonna do it, then we'll do it as well. And for yeah. Rob and to see Rob Manfred give that support during the All Star Week was right. huge to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I, I've talked about some things I don't like that Manfred has done, but but seeing that and, you know, also with, like I mentioned, the Little League Classic, Field of Dreams game, I mean, you can see that there is an effort being put in place, but there needs to be more done. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that, and this is where kind of the pandemic hurt baseball, you know, in terms of trying to grow their game. Yeah. You know, we've seen, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees face off in London. We've seen games in... Mexico, Tokyo, Australia in the past, you know, I think in, you know, we were, MLB was set to continue to have those in 2020 and 2021. And so it's pretty sure, you know, having that, those type of games take place in 2022 is something that might happen uh, once again. Absolutely. Then I think another subject that goes within this, you know, it's, you know, you know, obviously having competitive teams year in and year out. Obviously, we see teams that aren't as competitive compared to some. You know, we see the Orioles, we see the Cubs. You know, break down their team this year. You know, obviously the D-backs are on that same path. You know, these teams that try and rebuild their team over a five-year window, a five-year span, and so you know that's also kind of part of this as well of you know, having right. a of the commissioner, you know, telling their teams, you know, don't sell, you know, don't break down your team, you know, to use those pieces to, you know, try and make, uh, construct a new, a different team that could still win year in and year out with those players. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, obviously the league, if it, if it is going to continue to thrive, that's going to be on the basis of conflict. So. Um, totally agree with you on that. Um, I'm I'm just interested to see what he does next in terms of that. Um, how how the game is going to keep expanding, how the game will remain competitive, and so I, I think that with the changes that have occurred recently, and you know the seven inning doubleheaders being switched back, um, I f- I feel like he's trying to figure out what is right for the league, um, but maybe too much of a burden is on the shoulders. We'll see what happens in the future, though. And two, those teams not being able to field competitive teams lead to low attendance all over the ballparks. You see, you know, the D-backs with low attendance numbers, the Rays, you know, obviously year in and year out, what they have, let's yeah. hover around right. 12,000, 10,000 a game. You know, obviously the, um, the Reds are in that category sometimes, uh, the Marlins for sure. So it's... And one of those things that you have to try and figure out as well. All right. So with that, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back. Um, we're going to uh, talk some NBA, some schedule announcements that were released. And we're going to finish off talking some PGA Tour golf right when we come back. everyone welcome back to down the line we welcome you back for our second half of our show i'm brevin honda alongside kyle betts a couple of things to get to where we're gonna stay at the nfl we're gonna talk quarterback battles within the next couple of weeks but one of the things that 
we had come up big this week was the NBA, some news out of the NBA out after a wild free agency, a wild, wild list of trades. It's some schedule announcements that have been released for the 2021-22 season. We got opening night time, game times announced and Christmas Day. And when we think about the opening night, the world champs are playing the first game of the NBA slate. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Tuesday, October 19th, Bucks going to be taking on the Nets in Brooklyn. That's going to be the early game at 4.30 p.m. And then my Lakers uh, facing off against the Warriors in the Bay Area. That's going to be at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Um, great slate of games. I mean, hopefully we're able to see Klay Thompson back um, for that. And then Steph Curry, we all know what he can do. And then this new Lakers team as well. I mean, I'm really looking forward to that. And then going to the earlier game, talking a little bit about that, Bucks-Nets is a dream matchup for the first game. Um, we all know what Giannis can do. We all know what KD can do. And then uh, we've seen the supporting past step up big. Uh, for each team, really, last postseason. So, with their new additions as well, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, the thing I'm not, I'm kind of surprised about is the Bucks and Nets game not being in Milwaukee. Right. You you would think that the champs would host that home to begin with. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah, kind of the one. Oh, no, that game is actually in Milwaukee. I had that wrong. Oh, really? Run down. Okay. That game is in Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah, At first, I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I had that wrong so in our little rundown sheet, but the Nets are in Milwaukee to take on the World Series champion Bucks. You see ring night. You'll see banner banner unveiling inside Milwaukee okay. in that arena. So Bucks and Nets in Milwaukee, and then Lakers in Oracle, or not Oracle anymore, I should say, yeah. Chase Center, inside Chase Center to take yep. on the Lakers, LeBron, AD, Brody, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo. <laughs> Retirement home, but uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Retirement. <laughs> Retirement home on the floor of the purple and gold. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and then um, Christmas Day games. I mean, these are always big. Everybody watches. I watch them at least. Mm-hmm. I, I wake up early in the morning, you know, uh, with the family around, and everybody's getting ready to have people over. We're always cooking in the kitchen and stuff, but on both of the TVs in my house, the one in the living room and the one in the family room, I'm always having both NBA games on. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Christmas last fall is the best. Um, five games for the 14th straight year. Brevin, what, what do you think about these matchups? Yeah, you got the Hawks and the Knicks to kick off the day at 9 a.m. Pacific time. You know, obviously Trey Young going against Julius Randle and the Knicks to face off to begin the day. You got the Celtics and the Bucks. You got the Warriors in Phoenix to take on the Suns for a little, a little, maybe a warm. No, probably that by then it'd be a little bit cooler in Phoenix to take on the Suns. (laughs) You got, oh my God, the superstar primetime game. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden in the Nets taking on LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. I can go on with that list. Taking on the Lakers. At 5 p.m. and then the end of the night you got Luca taking on um, uh, the Utah Jazz at 7:30. Yeah, I really do like that last 7:30 game against it's, uh, the Mavs and Jazz. I feel like that's going to be a really good game that people could overlook in this slate. Um, kind of surprised that we didn't see the Clippers there because I mean, it seems like for the past few years they've always had a late game. Yeah, you would think. You know, it's usually Mavericks or Mavericks Clippers or something like that. Right, exactly. But um, I'm really looking forward to it. And then also, you know, I, I can get into this within the next couple of weeks previewing the NFL schedule, but I believe there are two Christmas games as well um, this year uh, for football. So NBA is going to um, I guess with my two TVs, one's going to be football, one's going to be basketball now. Could you imagine if this was, when we get the same version of last year's Christmas Day, when we had Alvin Kamara get six touchdowns on Christmas? That that was ridiculous. I remember (laughs) um, I was was at home watching the beginning, then I had to go out and get something. Um, So I was out for, I think, like 30, 45 minutes. And then 
I was just looking at my phone. I would come here, touchdown, 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 and it kept going. I was like, man, this this is crazy. Who would have thought that a guy would have such an impact um, like that? And, I mean, a great Christmas present to those who had him in fantasy. Yes, for sure. All those Saints <laughs> fans, too, they got a nice win with a lot of points in that game. Yeah, I, I think they played the Vikings in that game. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but, no, yeah, I was keeping track of that game. Yeah, sh- shout out to uh, Jack Amolmud. He'll be, he's a Vikings fan. He'll be moving <laughs> Minneapolis soon. Fo- follow him on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was watching that game having Dalvin Cook on my fantasy team. <laughs> oh, man. Then you see the other back just go off. And you're like, oh. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and they, they, they were using... Uh, Dalvin Cook is a decoy. And I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, could you man, imagine, you know, having, you know, a slate of NFL games like that, you know, a, po- a possibility of there being that many or that high scoring of a game compared to that many M- NBA Christmas Day games, Kyle? Oh, yeah, no, I was just about to say, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it because, I mean, Football was never really, um, you know, shown on Christmas until I believe uh, it was my senior year of high school. So, so that was about four or five years ago. I remember that I just got my back surgery and I was confined to the couch on Christmas. It was a terrible way to spend it. And there was football on. I was just watching football all day. And that was the first time I remember they had football games on Christmas Day in a while. And since they kept it up, and I really like watching it on Christmas as well. But, um, yeah, NBA, that, that's a really good slate. I mean, just all together, every game is going to be competitive. It's all the good teams in the league. And, I mean, it, hopefully it's as good as advertised. That's, that's all I'm really hoping for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's possible. You might also have some hockey games going on too, the NHL yeah. going on as well. Yeah, definitely. That, that gets overlooked sometimes and, you know, Maybe another outdoor game. I know they do one on New Year's Day, but uh, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to conclude our episode talking some PGA Tour golf. It's the FedEx Cup playoffs beginning this weekend here uh, in in the Jersey City at uh, the Northern Tries at the Liberty National Golf Club in New Jersey, just out just across the way from New York, the Big Apple. We got Northern Trust round two going on. Right now, we got John Rahm leading the way. He finished his round at four under par, or four under par for the day at 12 under total. Um, Tony Finau is right there at 11 under. You got Justin Thomas there as well at 10 under, along with uh, Mitchell, Kevin Nas there. Um, so a, li- a pretty good round. Pretty good players right there. Kevin Na- at nine under. Paul Varner, the third at eight under right now. He's three under so far in his second round through 11 holes. The the gold medalist, the latest gold medalist, Xander Shoffley's at three under so far for the tournament. Got an eagle on hole number six. So that's where he's at right now on hole mm-hmm. number seven right now. He's on the eighth hole right now. Got an eagle on six, as I mentioned, the par five, six. Probably the easiest hole on the golf course. So Sanders on another par five right now on the eighth. Yeah. So the way the way this goes is that top seventy in the FedEx Cup standings after the Northern Trust, they move on the, to the BMW Championship. That's mm-hmm. going to be next week, August twenty sixth to the twenty ninth. And then after that, the top thirty are going to be in the Tour Championship. That is September second through the fifth. In Atlanta, I mean, Brevin, who, who do you expect, or who do you think should should we expect um, to make a push in these FedEx uh, Cup playoffs? I mean, John Rahm's right there. You know, we mentioned him at that top yeah. spot. You know, winning the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines earlier this year. Mm-hmm. You know, him being in that range. I mean, the way we saw, I mean, Dustin Johnson's not going to be there, but you know, this is going to be really surprising, especially coming off the way. PGA, the FedEx Cup finish last year with the, Justin Johnson winning two of the final three championships, winning the Tour yeah, Championship, right. winning the Northern Trust last year. So it's going to be crazy to figure out who's going to win. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau might be in that mix. Yeah. He could be at number seven, you know, number eight right now. So it's 
you know, I think anyone yeah. in the top 15 has that opportunity. You know, and really to think that there's about at 4,500 FedEx Cup points at most, mm-hmm. you know, if you win all three tournaments. So really anyone could win. Anyone could win and go three straight tournaments, win three straight tournaments to win. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau right now tied for 11th alongside uh, Brooks Kepka. Um, for example, Xander Shoffley, I mean, coming off that gold medal, he's tied for 19th right now. And then uh, Justin Thomas, I mean, he, he's he's near the top right now, tied for third. So um, we could see a lot of different guys come out and contend, you know, later on especially. But um, obviously a really good start for uh, John Rahm. He's been performing incredibly lately. And, you know, his, his ranking is what it shows. And, and he's done a great job. Yeah, you know, this is too. John Rahm getting having some setbacks because of testing positive for COVID, was not in the Olympics, was not in some of the past tournaments because of it. So, you know, it'd be tough to, I think it'd be kind of break, uh, groundbreaking to see a player like that possibly win after, you know, testing positive a few times this year and then coming back to maybe win the FedEx Cup. Yeah, that would definitely be pretty inspirational, to be honest, to see that. I mean, after, you know, after winning and then undergoing those setbacks and then um, just the thought of him going back on top would be great to see that happen. Um, the purse for this competition right now, $9.5 million, And then I believe that $60 million in total will be distributed amongst the top golfers in this competition. Yeah, and two, we're talking about John Rahm, a guy that was leading, I'm pretty sure was at the Memorial earlier this year, a few weeks before the U.S. Open, leading through about two rounds, and then he heard he was te- he tested positive, yeah. and then so he couldn't finish that tournament yeah. as well. So Yeah, just seeing his reaction um, when he found out, I mean, that was that was pretty heartbreaking, to be honest, because... I mean, you're in the lead. I mean, you're doing all you can right now, and, and you, you find out, like, really unfortunate news. I mean, not only testing positive, having to step away from the competition and also, you know, quarantine for some time as well. Mm. We're going to get to all – we're going to get through these next tournaments with you. We're going to we're gonna keep track of these tournaments as they go on um, through the next couple of weeks leading up to Torch Championship at Eastlake in Atlanta. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Down the Line this week. I'm Brevin Hunt alongside Kyle Betsby. Thank you for tuning in next, tuning in this week. But next week, we hope you tune in. We got a couple of guests joining us uh, next week. We're going to talk some college football next weekend. It's the beginning of the 2021 college football season. Next week, we're going to talk some. Aztec Sports next week. We got a couple of daily Aztec sports editor and assistant sports editor joining us next week. So we hope you tune in and we thank you for tuning in this week.